0: reminder, Pastor Tony almost nailed all the announcements. There are how many services on Easter? There's two. There's one at 9 and one at 1030. And so um, we are encouraging you just uh, let us know by going to the Church Center app, just registering what service you think you're going to be going to just so that we can be prepared um, for that. If you change your mind, we're not going to kick you out of whatever service you, uh, you chose to go to. Also, one, one other thing, mark your calendars, you're going to forget, but I'm going to say it anyway. Anybody know what next Sunday is? Daylight savings. It's already here, okay? So, that means, you know what, when Pastor Jason talked about maybe not wanting to come to worship in the morning, that's next Sunday when it's super early and you're like, oh, but uh, so that's next next week. Well, it is sweet to be together as God's people. For those of you that know me, you know one of the things that I enjoy is um, American history. I enjoy just history in general, and every so often I come across these just these nuggets as I'm reading and, and studying. And I came across a story that um, is really quite fascinating. A friend of Abraham Lincoln, a man by the name of uh, Ward Hill Lamon. Uh, He recorded, recorded, some years years after after the assassination of uh, President Lincoln, Lincoln, he recorded recorded a a story story about an an exchange exchange that he and Lincoln Lincoln had three days before Lincoln's Lincoln's assassination. assassination. Uh, Lamont said that Lincoln Lincoln came to him him three days before the assassination and told him, he said, you know, uh, about a week uh, ago ago or so, I had this this really really crazy crazy dream. dream. And And he began to to tell Lamont, he said, in the the dream, dream... Um, I was in Um, the White House, House. and I heard heard all this crying, and I heard heard all these people people sobbing, sobbing, and so so I went went downstairs downstairs to try and ascertain ascertain what was going going on, on, why were these people crying. crying. And Lamont records records in his memoir that Lincoln told him then these words. Lincoln said, in my dream, I went from room to room. No living person was in sight, but the same mournful sounds of distress met me as I passed along. I saw, I saw a light in all the rooms. Every object was familiar to me, but where were all the people who were grieving as if their hearts would break? I was puzzled and alarmed, Lincoln said. What could be the meaning of all of this? Determined to find the cause of the state of things so mysterious and so shocking, I kept on until I arrived at the East Room, which I entered. There I was met with a a sickening surprise. surprise. Before me was a coffin, and on which rested a corpse wrapped in funeral vestments. Around it were stationed soldiers who were acting as guards, and there was a throng of people gazing mournfully upon the corpse whose face was covered, others weeping pitifully. Lincoln said about the dream, I said in the dream to a soldier who was standing by, who is dead in the White House? The president was his answer. He was killed by an assassin. Then came a loud burst of grief from the crowd, which woke me from my dream. I slept no more that night, and although it was only a dream, I have been strangely annoyed by it ever since. Now, this story has obviously riveted historians. Be- because if it's, if it's true, true as Lamont says it was, it was, if Lincoln, Lincoln actually, actually came to him and told him about this dream, then Lincoln had a dream predicting his, his own assassination. assassination. Now, whether or not it is actually true, some people have doubted Lamont's retelling of, of things. What we do know, though, church, is that throughout, throughout human history, God has, at very specific times and places, given men, given women dreams, and has given them those dreams often for the purpose of predicting the future. Now, we can't say with certainty that this is what happened here, but what we do know and what we began to see last week was some 2,500 years before Lincoln A man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, one of the kings of the great empire of Babylon, he had a dream, a dream that he didn't know what to do with it. It troubled him, much like Lincoln's supposed dream did as well. And so last week, we began entering into this story, and what I want you to do is turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Daniel chapter 2, because here is where this story takes place. And if you were with us last week, you know that what happens was Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar wakes wakes up one day day from a dream, and he's he's troubled troubled by it. it. That's how chapter 2 starts. And he calls upon his wise men, the guys on his payroll that are supposed to help him understand his dreams. And the way that it would go in the ancient world was that a king would have a dream and then he'd tell it to his wise men and then they would interpret it for him. And so Nebuchadnezzar calls his wise men and he says, I had a dream. Tell me the dream and tell me the interpretation. And it's as though the wise men don't quite get what Nebuchadnezzar has just asked of them. And they say, okay, that's fine. Tell us the dream. And he said, no, you don't understand me. I'm not gonna tell you the dream. And we don't know we don't if Nebuchadnezzar know simply forgot it or he just or didn't want to tell it, but he said, I need you I need to, you to tell, tell me what I dreamt, dreamt without me telling you, and you need, need to tell me the interpretation. interpretation. Oh, and by I'm the, the way, way, if you can't do either I of those, I'm those things, things. things, I'm going and to kill you. Your whole, whole families, destroy your homes. homes. Yeah. Oh, but, oh, but, but there's, there's good there's news, though. If you can do it, I'm going to reward you, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you great. And the wise men, and they're like, um, I, we don't think we heard you again correctly here. And they, and they pled with Nebuchadnezzar, we were told in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 2, and they said, listen, no human being can do what you've asked us to do here, Nebuchadnezzar. Nobody can do it. And on top of that, um, listen, no king has ever asked someone to do what you're asking us to do. Only the gods could possibly give you what you're looking for. And at this, we learned last week that Nebuchadnezzar was absolutely incensed, and he said this like the queen in Alice in Wonderland, off with their heads. He sent out his guards to round up the wise men to ultimately kill them. And by the way, some of the wise men of Babylon at that time were guys by the name of Daniel, Mishael, Azariah, and Hananiah, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so the, the guard came to get them and to round them up and to kill them with everybody else and Daniel says, Whoa, whoa, wait a moment, what's going on here? What's happening? They obviously weren't there for the initial exchange. And the guard comes to Daniel and he says, Well, the king had a dream, this is what's going on. If you don't tell him the dream and the interpretation, everybody dies. And Daniel says, Give me a moment. Go back to the king, have him a point of time. I think where these other guys have failed, we're gonna succeed. And then we find out right away why he thinks that they're going to succeed because he goes into his friends and he says, let's pray to the God of heaven for mercy that he would give us the dream and its interpretation. And guess what God does? He gives them both the dream and the interpretation. So Daniel goes back to Arioch, the guard, who was there to kill them, and he says, all right, I'm ready to go before the king. Bring me before him. Arioch's like, great, let's go. He takes him to King Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel stands before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar says to him, he says, are you able to tell me the dream and its interpretation? And here's where we pick the story up in verse 27. Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. What you doing there, Daniel? Like, the wise men already told him this fact. And I can imagine Ariok standing off to the side, the one who had just brought Daniel before the king, being like, what are you doing? We're all going to lose our heads. I thought you said you knew the dream. But Daniel's Daniel's not done. done. No man man can give you what you ask, Nebuchadnezzar. But, but, verse 28, there's a God in heaven heaven who reveals mysteries, mysteries, and he has made known to the king, king, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, what will be in later days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, This mystery has been revealed to me, not because because of of any wisdom wisdom that I have have, more than all the living, living. but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king king, and that you may know the thoughts thoughts of your your mind. mind. Before Daniel gives the king what, he looks, what he's looking for, he makes abundantly clear to the king and to all of us, the only reason I am going to be able to do what I'm about to do is because while human beings are limited in their knowledge and ability, the God I serve is unlimited in his knowledge and ability. Everyone else failed because of this fact. But I am only able to do this because of my God. And so church, that that sets sets up 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 for now what we're about to see see as we shift shift from from the events events leading up to the the dream dream to now Daniel Daniel coming coming. and telling us the dream and its interpretation. Here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to go through the dream first. I'm just going to make a couple of comments, and we're going to look at the interpretation. And then as you see in your notes, there's a number of takeaways. There are some very significant truths that the people of God, you and I, men and women who, very much like Daniel, live in exile, except ours is not geopolitical. Ours is a spiritual exile. We live in a world that's not our home. God is going to give us, in the dream and its interpretation, some very significant truths that we need to cling to. Because as Pastor Jason said so eloquently, so many times we're led by our emotions, and instead we need the truth to impact our affections to ground us. Because what Daniel is doing here is ultimately not giving the dream and its interpretation so that you and I can to know we can the futures future. So that we can know we which can kingdoms know which are, represented kingdom are represented here in this, dream, this here dream, but instead but dead, to ground, ground us in truths, truths that exiles, exiles need, as, need as, we as we wait for the coming of our, our glorious God and, God and Savior Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. Christ so you ready to learn? learn ready to grow you ready for Is some ready crazy dreams? dreams all right let's go here we are starting in verse 31 we pick up the dream You saw, saw, O king, King and behold, a great great image. image, This image, image, mighty mighty, and of exceeding brightness, brightness stood before you, and its appearance was was frightening. frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, gold, its chest chest and arms arms of silver, silver, its middle and thighs thighs of bronze, bronze, its legs legs of iron, iron, its feet partly of iron, iron, partly of of clay. clay. As you looked, looked, a stone was cut by no human hand, hand, and it it struck struck the image image on its feet of iron, iron, and the clay, and broke them them in pieces. pieces. Then the The iron, the clay, the bronze, the the silver, and and the gold gold, all together together were broken broken in pieces, pieces. and because because, like the chaff chaff of the summer threshing threshing floors and the wind carried them away away, so that not a trace trace of them could be found. found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Earth, This was was the dream. dream. I want to stop there. there. As we're we're hearing hearing Daniel Daniel recount recount this this vision, we see that there are a lot of different imagery that is being used within it. Broadly speaking, Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, in your dream you saw a statue. The statue was composed of different materials, a head of gold, a chest and arms of silver, a midsection and thighs of bronze, iron and then clay, and iron mixed with clay for the feet. And what happened to the statue in this dream, did you hear it, was that there was a stone not made with human hands, that's going to be important later, later. in this This dream comes comes and and strikes strikes the statue statue and decimates decimates it, it, crushes it it to pieces. pieces. And as the statue and all the material float float away into the 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 wind, wind. that stone stone grows grows into into a gigantic gigantic mountain. mountain. And that mountain mountain fills fills the entire earth. Now, we hear this dream and it seems maybe a little intense, but not that frightening. But for a guy like Nebuchadnezzar, This was a dream that was filled with both destruction and invasion imagery. The statue was replaced. And so we can see that from Nebuchadnezzar's point of view, why this dream would have been so troubling. What do all these pieces represent? What does it all mean? So Daniel delivers on the dream. He accomplishes checkbox number one for what Nebuchadnezzar had asked. But now we're left left with, well, what does the dream mean? This is the heart heart of things. things. Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar didn't want to just know his dream. He wanted to know 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 what it meant. So Daniel Daniel tells tells us, verse 36, this was was the dream, dream, Daniel says. Now Now we will tell the king its interpretation. Pause there just for a minute. Do you see how Daniel uses the plural pronoun we here? This is going to be important, but Daniel is just trying to make it so abundantly clear. Listen, Nebuchadnezzar. What you're getting doesn't come from from me. This this comes from beyond me. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. He keeps deflecting the glory. What's the interpretation? Verse 37. You, O king, the king of kings, by the way, the king of kings, anybody else who knows what that's also in reference to? Who else is called the king of kings? Jesus, right? Um, The King of Kings, that was a title that Nebuchadnezzar gave to himself, by the way. It's like giving yourself your own nickname, right? It doesn't, it shouldn't stick. It doesn't, it shouldn't work, right? You know, Um, Nebuchadnezzar called himself the King of Kings. But listen to what Daniel says. You, O O king, the king of kings, kings, to whom the God of heaven has has given the kingdom, the power power, and the might and the the glory, and into whose hands he, God, has given, given, wherever wherever they dwell, the children of men and beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. You want to know what the dream means? I'm not going to waste any time. You're the head of gold. When you looked at the statue, that represented you, that represented your kingdom. But then there's more. Then there's more. Another, another king, king inferior, inferior, another kingdom, another kingdom inferior, inferior to you shall arise after, after you, and yet a third, yet a third kingdom, kingdom of, bronze of bronze which shall, shall rule over, over all, all the, earth. the earth. And there shall and there be a, fourth, be a kingdom fourth kingdom strong as iron, iron, because, iron, because breaks iron breaks to pieces and shatters and all, all things. things. And like, and like iron, that, iron crushes, that crushes, it shall break and, break and crush all these. So it's going to conquer the other kingdoms. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, This kingdom shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. Daniel comes and says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. And all these other materials represent different kingdoms that will come after you. We're not told their names or really anything about them outside of the details about mixing and marriage, as the last kingdom is identified. But what we are told is this, church. Look at verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the the clay, the silver, and the gold, Daniel's saying one day God is going to replace all earthly kingdoms with his kingdom, and Daniel concludes by saying this, A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is what? Sure. Signed, sealed, delivered. Here you go. Here's the dream. Here's the interpretation. And what we see happen after that is the following verses tell us that Nebuchadnezzar falls upon his face He pays homage to Daniel. He makes good on his commands. He, He gives Daniel gifts. He gives Daniel praise. The king answered verse 47 and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. And then the king gave Daniel Honors and many great gifts and made him a ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. He's now over them all. And Daniel, realizing he had some power on his side, made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Just on the face of it, what Daniel does here in telling the dream and the interpretation, it's a fascinating story. We look at this and we think, "This this is pretty amazing. This is one more story in the Bible that we can chalk up to God doing what He does in delivering His people out of treacherous situations, preserving His people in the midst of their captivity. And so we could just walk away from the story and say, look at how faithful God is to preserving his people. And you could say that, but there's a lot more stories in Daniel that are going to make that point. You could also come to this story, as some people do, and they say, this is a powerful story about prophecy. God is wanting you and I to know about the future here. So let's pick apart this prophecy so that we can determine what's going to happen in the future. And one of the things I want to do is I want to caution you that in this instance, that's not the point of this. We want to be careful not to just simply spend our time wrestling through who do these different materials represent. And the reason why we shouldn't do that is because when you look at the story, you ask yourself the question, does God reveal who the head of gold is? He does. He says, that's you, Nebuchadnezzar. That's Babylon. Does God reveal the identity of any of the other kingdoms and their materials? What's the answer to that? No, he doesn't. The point of this story, ultimately, church, I want to put before you what, what, why we have the record of these events is because God wants us as his people, as we read all of Daniel chapter 2, to understand the contrast, the comparison between the kingdoms of men and between God's kingdom, to know the difference between who we are as human beings and ultimately who our God is. Last week we saw it started with the wise men of Babylon failing to interpret the dream of the king. Why? Because they're not God. We as human beings are limited in our capabilities, we're limited in our knowledge, but God is not. And then when Daniel comes and he recites the dream and its interpretation, you know what he does here? He's about to show us some remarkable truths about human kingdoms in comparison and contrast to God's kingdom. Because if you and I don't understand these truths, our hearts as exiles, our hearts as we go through this world can be pulled, can be turned, can be filled with anxiety, and we cannot have peace, much like Nebuchadnezzar. But instead, if we pull back and we say, yes, this is a dream that gives us a prophecy of the future, but ultimately that prophecy of the future Future is to push us into knowing more about ourselves and more about our God. And here's the very first thing that we should take away when we look at this story in total, and it's this. All human kingdoms only exist because they've been established by God. Any human kingdom that has ever existed only exists because it's been established by God. When you look out at the world as people in exile, we can look at what's going on around us and we can think, man, Does God know what's happening here? Is is he in control of this? Daniel says not once but twice. Listen, verse 21. God changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. Who does that, church? God does. All human kingdoms that exist only exist because God has established them. Later on, he goes to Nebuchadnezzar. And I think Daniel says it a little bit tongue-in-cheek. In verse 37, he says, You, O king... <clears throat> the King of Kings, to whom the God of heaven, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom. Do you see what, Neb- what Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar? You've got the kingdom, but do you know how you got it? God gave it to you. You didn't take it, you weren't smarter, you weren't stronger, you weren't faster. God gave you this kingdom. And he tells him this not once. He tells him twice. He tells him three times. All that you have is because God has given it to you. Church family, we got to ground ourselves in this. Jesus, even, as he stood before Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the ruler in, in that region at that time, has Jesus before him, and he's asking Jesus questions, and Jesus won't answer him. And in John chapter 19, Pontius Pilate says, you will not speak to me, do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Here Pontius Pilate, you know, he's all, do you know who I am? Do you not know? And Jesus is like, little do you know how well I know you. And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. God is never surprised by who's in power. We might be. We might be really surprised. God's not. And by the way, we read this in the Bible, and I want to just speak to uh, our, our businessmen and women here today. I don't know who you work for, but sometimes we read this, and we're like, yeah, God establishes all kingdoms and all authorities and all governments. He appoints them, and they exist for his purpose. But you know who else does too? Every business, every corporation Their success, their failures, the times and seasons in which they exist, those too are appointed by God. Can I get an amen to that? I was talking to a very successful businessman, and I was was so impressed by some of the things that he said to me a while back. His humility in the business that he had, he came to me and he said, Dave, he's like, I'm not smarter. I'm not more gifted than other people. I look at my business and any success that I have, and I attribute that all to just simply God's hand. Now, from the outside looking in, that man could easily have said, it's all about me. It's all about what I'm able to do. And you know what? Nebuchadnezzar, we're gonna see this in a little bit, he's gonna say that. And God's gonna humble him in a big way. But not just governments, but corporations, businesses, do we deserve any of the credit for the things that we have or the things that we obtain? The answer is Come on now, say it with me. No. And sometimes we can think that we have built these things, but listen, there's a, a humbling here. God is in control of, of this. I don't know if I have time to say it. I'm gonna say it. Okay, here we go. So there's one more thing. Um, as Christians, as God's people, can I encourage us to also not do something? Who appoints and establishes kingdoms? Let's say it one more time. Who does? God does, okay. Um, do we know why he's always doing it? Well, the short answer is yes, we know that he does it for his glory. But sometimes, we as Christians, even today, we can look back, and I hear people say this, and they're like, oh, do you see what's happening over there? That's God's judgment. That person became fill-in-the-blank because God's looking to judge. You know, in the Old Testament, God would often do that. He would often appoint people as a, as a way of judging his people. And, but you know what he would do in the Old Testament? He would tell us when he's doing that. Are you tracking with me? Sometimes we're quick to say, God appointed this person for this role to accomplish this thing. You know who knows the answer to that question? God does. Do we know that? No. So let's be humble as we look at what God's doing and say, for sure, God appointed that person to that position, but I'm not going to say what he did it for. Because the saints in the book of Acts, they could have looked at what happened to them. They were persecuted greatly for their faith. There were people that were put in power and they oppressed them significantly. And those saints could look at them and say, Well, this is just God's judgment on us. No, it wasn't God's judgment. God was kicking them in the can and saying, Get out into the ends of the earth. And so when we think about God appointing people to rule, what we want to say is that we know what God's doing here, we always don't. But because we know that He's in control, that should give us some comfort. And, and just in case you're struggling with the people who are in control, we learned something else in this story. Guess what? All the kingdoms of men are temporary. Praise God for that, right? They're all temporary. What happens to each and every king on that statue? We know from human history that the Babylonians were eventually taken over by the Medo-Persians. The Medo-Persians were eventually taken over by the Greeks. The Greeks were eventually taken over by the Romans. And guess what? All we have today are artifacts. Every human kingdom that exists is temporary. Some people want to know, well, who do these different materials represent? What, what kingdoms are they? The traditional interpretation is just that, like I said, Babylon is the head of gold, the Medo-Persians are the body of silver, the, the uh, Greek Empire is the, is the midsection of bronze, and then Rome represents the rest. We can't say for certain, but listen, the point of the dream and its interpretation is to let us know all kingdoms of men are temporary. And that should lead you and I to say two things. Whatever is happening now, guess what? It's not going to happen forever. Whatever's happening now, who's ever in power now, they're not going to last, which leads to the second point then. Don't put your trust in the kingdoms of men. Do you know why this story is being recounted to people in captivity? At the time, do you think the Jewish people who were in captivity— could fathom a world in which Babylon wasn't in control over them? It'd been almost impossible for them to to imagine a world in which Nebuchadnezzar and his minions didn't have power and authority. But listen, Daniel's saying, based upon this dream, they're not going to be in power forever. So don't trust the kingdoms of men. Sometimes Christians are tempted today to put our hope and trust in the kingdoms of men, to negotiate with the kingdoms of men, to try to accomplish what we feel like are God's purposes. But as the saying goes, here today, gone tomorrow. And Daniel is saying this is what's true of all human kingdoms. They will become dust. This is what we need to hear about earthly kingdoms. But church, is this dream simply about what happens to earthly kingdoms? This dream ultimately is a dream that tells us about another kingdom. A powerful, great, everlasting, and eternal kingdom. This dream is ultimately intended to turn our hearts and our attention to the fact that God will one day establish His kingdom on earth. All human kingdoms will eventually fade away, but one day God will establish His kingdom on earth. Verse 44 says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. The temporary nature of earthly kingdoms struck me this week. I had a quick trip to Dallas this week, and I never spent a lot of time in the great state of Texas. That's for Jason, our worship pastor, right there. <clears throat> but we went to downtown Dallas, and one of the places I wanted to see was the assassination location for, for JFK. It's kind of a weird place to go because you see pe- people like taking pictures, they're like, ah, like ah, you know, and there's like an X where the president was shot. So it feels kind of weird. But you go there, and I re- remember being struck in that moment, standing at this location where JFK was assassinated and thinking, it just took a bullet like this. <laughs> and the course of history in America changed just in an instant. The kingdoms of men are temporary, but one day God will establish his kingdom on earth. And here's the difference. Here's the characteristic of his kingdom. God's kingdom will be, according to Daniel, an everlasting kingdom. All these other kingdoms will fade away. All these other kingdoms will fail, but God's kingdom will last forever. It won't be given to another people. It will not be destroyed. Babylon fell to the Persians. The Persians fell to the Greeks. The Greeks fell to the Romans. No one is going to conquer God's kingdom. And the reason for that is very simple. God's kingdom will conquer all the kingdoms of men. That stone made without human hands, it comes crashing against that statue and it says, it shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. This is the kingdom of God. And after that kingdom has been established, after it has has conquered all other kingdoms, did you notice what it will do? God's kingdom will cover the whole earth people at the time that Daniel wrote this couldn't fathom North America. They couldn't even barely fathom Africa, Australia. Th- th- these, these things were too great. South America, well, they, couldn't, they couldn't imagine the extent of the world, and yet this kingdom, when God establishes it, it says back in verse 35, that stone will grow into a mountain, and that mountain will cover the earth. See, this is what's going to happen, Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar. And here's where I need to make a very important point. For Daniel, this was a vision of the future. For Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, this was a vision of the future. All these things were going to happen. The idea that God would establish his kingdom here on earth would no doubt have encouraged the exiles of Daniel's day. As they looked forward and they said, finally, there's going to be a day where all these kingdoms are going to be dealt with. But for Daniel, this was a vision of the future, but not for us. Did you know that? Did you know that Daniel's interpretation of this dream, that for him, he was looking forward to the day when God would establish his kingdom on earth. They were looking forward to this everlasting kingdom that would conquer all kingdoms and would fill the earth. And for Daniel, this was a day in the future. But it's not a day in the future for those of us who live on this side of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? You see, because... We live, as theologians say, in the already but not yet. This stone that came and conquered and destroyed the earthly kingdoms. Friends, it's no mistake that it is called a stone that is not formed with human hands. This is a stone, this is a kingdom that's not produced by humanity. This is a kingdom that has been produced by God. And do you want to know who that stone is? Do you know who that stone is? It's Jesus Christ. When Peter spoke in Acts chapter 4, verse 11, we read these words. He spoke to people and he said, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Church, God established his kingdom on earth through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God has broken in upon our world. The fullness of God's everlasting kingdom, the expansion of God's everlasting kingdom, there's still more to come. Don't get me wrong, but as we sang earlier What we believe and what the word of God proclaims is that with the first coming of Jesus Christ, Jesus was establishing the reign and rule of God on this earth. There's this verse, it's not in your notes, but I want you to mark it down. Matthew 26, 64. Jesus, when he was speaking to the high priest, said this, From now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. Jesus knew that in his coming, he was ushering in the kingdom of God on earth. And it began the moment he died upon that cross and he said, it is finished. Sin and death and hell at the crucifixion and in his resurrection were destroyed, which is why Paul would write to the church in Philippi a church that was living under Roman oppression. And he would say this of Jesus, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and bestowed upon him the name that's above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, do you know that right now, It doesn't matter if Donald Trump is president. It doesn't matter if Joe Biden is president. It doesn't matter what's going on in Russia. It doesn't matter what's going on in China. It doesn't matter what superpowers are jockeying for position. It's all theatrics in the bigger scheme of things because Jesus right now is on his throne reigning and ruling. You and I today can look at all that's happening around us and saying, you know what? It might seem like things are chaotic. It might seem like things are falling apart. But if I am in Jesus Christ, I am part of this everlasting kingdom that will ultimately conquer and fill the earth. It's why church, one of the main verses for us as a church is Matthew 28, 19, when Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. We are living in the already. The already is this. Jesus is on his throne. There is victory over sin and death and hell, and it's found only through him. And do you know one of the little subtle things that the Bible does to remind you and I that the kingdom has come? There's still a day coming. There's a second coming when Jesus will ultimately conquer all things and put everything under his feet. But between now and then, do you know this little thing in the Bible that that God did to remind you and I that this is true? One of the things that we're called to do is to evangelize. We are called to be evangelists. You know, for you and I, we hear that and we just immediately have religious notions in our mind about what that means. But did you know what an evangelist was in Jesus's day? In the ancient world, shocker, they didn't have the internet, right? They didn't have telephones. They couldn't communicate quickly. And often what would happen is a king like Nebuchadnezzar would be in a battle in one part of his empire and he would get conquered by another king. And people would be going about their day farming, you know, you know, behind the plow, doing their thing, thinking that their king was still in power. They had no idea that their king had lost the battle. They had no idea that they were now under the reign and rule of another king. And so you know what the kings would do? They would send out people after the battle was done, to go out throughout the empire and to proclaim to all those people who were just living their lives no idea of what had just happened way over there and say, you're under the reign and rule of a new king. Do you want to know what those people were called? The people who went out and told the messages that they were now under the reign and rule of a new king? Anybody want to take a guess? Evangelists! That was what their names were. And do you know what God calls us? He calls us to be evangelists. It's why we're called ambassadors. You see, our world, as they go about their lives, they don't know something. Jesus is reigning and ruling. The kingdoms of men are all gonna come to an end. There's more to come. Don't get me wrong. But here, church, is what we want to proclaim. What we want people to know, you want to be a part of God's kingdom. Because if you're trusting in the kingdoms of men, they're going to collapse in upon themselves. They will fail you, but God's kingdom does not fail you. And the way that we first and foremost begin to experience the reign and rule of God in our lives is as we come to him, as we confess our sins, he says, your sins are forgiven. I'm adopting you and taking you from the kingdom of darkness, placing you into the kingdom of light. You and I have a hope. You and I have a joy. You and I have a peace. Knowing that our God is in control and the God who's in control is a God who loves us. You see, the story here ends with Nebuchadnezzar praising God. But what we truly know about Nebuchadnezzar is that was just him praising God for the revealing of his dreams. See, Nebuchadnezzar's heart was never changed. Nebuchadnezzar remained as someone who trusted in himself, who trusted in his power. And so Nebuchadnezzar, like all people, see this story offers us a warning. There's only death and destruction when you're not a part of God's kingdom. And so one of the questions that this story faces us is this, whose kingdom are you a part of? Whose kingdom are you a part of? Are, are, you, are you a part of Jesus' kingdom? Are you a part of God's kingdom? Are, is he your ruler? Is he your Lord? Or are you still trusting in yourself? For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, what kingdom are you living for? Oh, it can be so subtle, can't it, what kingdom that we're living for? We can say that we're living for the kingdom of God, but how do we invest our time? How do we invest our money? How do we invest our energies? We talked about it last week. Our anxieties, they reveal to us ultimately what we're trusting in. Exiles, exiles spiritual exiles who are waiting for the fullness of the kingdom of God to be revealed, what we need to hear is this. Jesus today is ruling and reigning on his throne. To live for the things of this world, they're going to be like chaff. They're going to blow away. But those who hope and trust in the kingdom that God has provided through his son, Jesus Christ, well, that's an everlasting kingdom that's a kingdom that you can anchor yourself to. My prayer for us as a church is that as we go through and we hear this story of Daniel, we would once again hear these truths and say, I don't want to live for the kingdoms of this world. I don't want to put my hope and trust in them. I want my hope and trust to be in that everlasting kingdom that's provided through Jesus Christ's work on the cross for, for us. Let's pray together. Lord, as your people if we are truly your people because we put our hope and trust not in the kingdoms of men, not in our own flesh and blood, but in the flesh and blood, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, if we have done that, we have a great hope. And so Lord, help us to be a people who proclaim this truth to ourselves, who understand that everything else will fade away, but your kingdom will remain sure and secure. For our young people that are here today, Lord, there is such a temptation, I know, in in a pull within not just our young people's hearts, but within our own hearts, to wonder, like, is this true? Is this secure? Because the kingdoms of the world seem to be succeeding. They seem to be doing really, really well. Lord, help our eyes to see past the superficial. Help our eyes to see past the momentary and to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, to know that he'll never leave nor forsake, and he can offer us that promise Lord, that he can actually fulfill on that promise because he's the stone. He's a stone not made with human hands. The rock, Lord, that we can ultimately cling to. And so as our church family, Lord, as we go from this place, may we also see, Lord, that you've called us to be part of your work in spreading your kingdom over the whole earth. In Valley Center and around the world, oh Lord, help us not to be afraid. And so we pray and we ask this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.